Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Keith Gove. I'm one of the pastors here at Richfield Community Church. I am the other pastor here at Richfield Community <laughs> There's Church. There's only two of us. There was some, this morning was supposed to be six of us. And there are only two left. So you all have to guess what we've done with the bodies yes. and where to find them. And we are incredibly grateful to John Ocampo joining <laughs> us this morning to help lead our couple of worship songs. I wanted to start this morning by welcoming you to an encore, encore, encore presentation of the uh, Tournament of Roses Parade. But I didn't want to confuse you and have you all leave, so I didn't say that. So That just... might actually be your ideal second career. If this pastor thing doesn't work out, you yeah. could totally host the Rose Parade. Absolutely. I would love it. Like Al Roker in the little sidecar and go down and give high fives to people and Yes. You I keep do adding all Roker to the Rose Parade. I know. He's the Thanksgiving Day guy. I, but I can never remember who, any of the people who from, except for like Bob Eubanks and Stephanie Edwards, which, you know. I think they're the only people. Puts me back for like to like 65 years or something. Two decades. Yeah, yeah. But they said Betty White yesterday. They said Betty White used to be a host for the oh, Rose really? Parade. Oh. Yep. So little known facts. You're learning already today at RCC. Take what you learned and share it with others. <laughs> So I promise, <laughs> we are not going to spend the entire hour doing this, I promise you. We were told, we do just, have, just fill time, just fill time. We do have no, actual we, important things to talk about. Yeah, uh, and in fact, as part, of, as part of that, a couple of announcements before we get started. Uh, mark your calendars for the annual meeting, uh, February 6th. Uh, we will go over budget, we'll talk about key things, and we're also going to get together as a congregation to ratify into our constitution the EFCA's updated statement. Uh, for more information on that, you can either check the weekly email, or when you come back, ideally next week, uh, we will have printed copies of the updated statement with an explanation about what changed. Uh, we, we agree with it and want to affirm it and put it into our official um, setup for everything. Uh, and we don't know necessarily about next yeah, week. Yeah, thank you. Announcement number two. See, this is why we're doing this together. <laughs> There's a lot swirling this week. Um, we're going to do this week by week. We don't know what next week holds, so we are going to make decisions based on week by week. As, as we mentioned in the email and in the text, uh, we have a significant number of folks uh, at home sick with COVID right now or exposed to another family member uh, that has COVID. And this thing just seems incredibly transmissible um, and is just ripping through everybody right now. And so we are, uh, with all the facts that we have in place, we believe we are doing the right thing by uh, helping to extend uh, an additional step of safety, trying to keep everybody uh, as safe and healthy as we possibly can. And we are grateful for the technology to be able to talk to you guys this morning that we right. can actually live stream and connect with you. Yeah, and, and so we have, this morning, we have a, a tradition uh, of doing the first Sunday of the year, kind of orienting our, our people, orienting all of us about what, we're, what we value, what matters to us. Yep, but before we do that, let's let's pray for everybody who's who's uh, at home not feeling oh, well and, I jumped and for our community. No, no, you're totally good. And in fact, John's going to play some music too, Keith. What? We are dialed in this morning. No, this is the Keith Gove Show. Everybody else, step aside. <laughs> so let's pray for everybody this morning. Hey, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we've, got, we've got so many different sets of uh, levels of health right now with what's happening with uh, COVID, as well as all the colds and flus going around too. Uh, and we have so many emotions attached to that. The disruption that this causes to being able to get together as a church, the disruption within families to do what they were hoping to overbreak, the disruption of jobs, the disruption of what this is going to mean for the start of school for families or what this is what's going to happen when kids go back to school. 
uh, we pray that ultimately, while we want our circumstances to be as smooth and easy as possible, we pray ultimately that in all of these challenges that we focus on you, that we are drawn to you, that we seek you and the peace that you offer to us when circumstances like these don't go exactly how we were hoping for. So be with us, guide our hearts, fill us with your spirit, uh, both this morning and just an an ongoing, continue to just fill us with your spirit. Have us turn to the Holy Spirit for guidance and support. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. John, you want to uh, lead us? Yeah, thank you guys. What a segue. So what matters to us? What matters to us, RCC, in terms of uh, how our staff thinks, how our elders focus, as well as how we as a congregation actually uh, rally together. And that's, that's what we love about this tradition of the first week of the year, being able to talk about what matters to us uh, and, and recenter how we all focus um, on God. And of course, that all starts primarily Uh, with this idea. Enjoying God together. This is our mission statement. We want to encourage people to enjoy God together because we believe that there is a myth that uh, exists out there that your miserable level equals your sanctification. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I've heard that. If it, we, it, shockingly, when you read the Bible, you hear things about peace and joy and love and hope, and all of those are counter to miserable. 
So we piece them all together and we realize that this, this wonderful, amazing, uh, barely understandable in terms of this full picture God of ours, he actually wants us to enjoy him uh, and that we actually have the ability to uh, enjoy him together and get more joy both now and more joy in the hope of our existence with him uh, for eternity. You're smiling at me like there's something you want to say. No, I, well, <laughs> oh, I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. Keith's enjoying God and Brian right now. That's right. Um, so here's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, part of it is why do we do these things? Why do we have Vision Sunday? Why do we have things like mission statements and, and distinctives? We put them on the wall and it makes people think that we've thought about stuff. Yeah, it's, I, I like to call it boardroom talk. Uh, here's, here's, why they, here's why we believe that they matter. Two, two main reasons. The first is that it clarifies the ideas that possibly bring us together. I think most of you are aware that if you walk into anywhere in the US or even around the globe, an evangelical church, you might not get the same experience, the same focus, the same message from the pulpit right now. Uh, evangelicalism is broadening in what its definition is. Uh, some of it is because folks inside of that are changing how they talk. Some of it is because the uh, outside world is ascribing this label to uh, things that aren't necessarily true to the evangelical ideas. So these ideas, when we talk about them, they help us understand what we as RCC actually focus on and where our truth and our hope and our biblical foundation actually exist. And the second one is that because we have something to look at as a staff, as an elder board, as a community, it encourages this culture. Now, I used to do this uh, in my old job. I did it for my agencies that I worked at, uh, primarily, especially my last one, as well as other companies that I worked for, too. And it was this importance of whatever your language is, that it wasn't this loose, ethereal thing, that it was actually something that impacted your culture. Because if your people believe in it when they're all getting together, they actually live this out, which means it's not just writing on the wall. It's actually evidence and truth to what you actually believe and then act accordingly to that belief. So this language we believe is incredibly important because it helps us actually live this out and be that city on a hill that we, are, that we want to be within this community. So that's why we have language like this. So you're gonna see today that we're actually updating some of this stuff. What would traditionally kind of fall under what we'd know as distinctives, one of the first things that we're gonna do is we're gonna update it and we're calling it what matters to us from now on. We're losing the label of distinctives. We're moving away from things that might traditionally be stated as if you were in a boardroom or something like that. We're just, just how people talk. We wanna keep moving how people talk. And, and that's why we update these things. Why do we update how we talk about ourselves? And it's, it's primarily for this, for this purpose. People's use of language is constantly changing. Uh, even outside of the church, you look at how people's use of language has changed uh, over even just the last couple of years, even within churches. If 10 years ago I turned to Keith and I asked you, Keith, tell me about your journey. <laughs> 10 years ago, maybe that would have He would have thought, what a great question, and this is super important. Really Let me insightful. tell you about my journey. Now you get eye rolls and <laughs> giggles. It, language updates and language changes, and so we want to make sure we're not getting caught in something that doesn't feel uh, relevant to people, that just feels like uh, a bunch of tropes or, or, or unthoughtful uses of words. We want to make sure that we, stay, that we stay modern with how we're talking about stuff. Like I mentioned before, it's increased clarity for our community. It helps everybody uh, rally and understand where we stand and, and, and understand the things that actually are important. 
But increasingly for this year, too, as we continue to increase, uh, we're going to have more events like we had for the 4th of July, like where we had the tailgate inviting people. We're going to try and have more community uh, events on campus, work with our partners that uh, continue to firm up and establish stronger bonds with our partners in the community. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about that with annual meeting stuff, and, as the, and right. as the first month or so goes on, we'll talk about some details on that. But it's an increasing this connection for folks who are not yet RCCers. And there's four buckets that we see really affecting our community locally, as well as just even when we look at Big C Church and understand what's happening out there. The first is obviously the non-believers. How do we get people to be curious about what makes us us, and then set expectations for what an experience at RCC is going to be like? The next is new believers. It helps them understand how to sort of sort through all the things that they're hearing in the swirl of becoming a new believer. What, what we, if they come to our doors, what we are going to actually emphasize and spend our time on. The next is believers who are looking for more or different. Uh, because of that change in what people are talking about, where the emphasis is, uh, there are people who, who want to see what else is out there um, in terms of what the message is. And we believe we're incredibly biblically rooted and, and have a, uh, from what we get feedback from the community, we have a deeper expression of our biblical roots and a deeper expression of genuine pursuit of what we get from the Bible. And so folks who are looking for kind of that next step um, the hope that if they're drawn to us, that they understand how we're going to help them get more. Right. And when they get to us, they see words that they can understand that make sense that that land for them in ways that are meaningful. Agreed. And hopefully also the behaviors that match to that too, yeah. that they see this in everything that we do and how we interact with them. And then this last one, this is the one that, that seems to be the growing bucket for the Pew Research and, and just talking around to, to everybody. Uh, this disenfranchised set of believers, these folks who have been wounded by the church, who have, who have heard statements, but then behaviors haven't matched, that are hurt. Uh, we hope that as they, as they work through whether or not God is in their lives or what God looks like in their lives, that we can give them optimism and hope that we can be a place that feels safe and loving and give them an actual expression of what maybe they didn't get somewhere else because we are a bunch of screwed up humans who uh, as much as we want to, there are mistakes made even within churches. And so we hope that uh, we can help guide people to, a, to an optimistic and realistic expectation of what that looks like and draw in some of these disenfranchised believers and hope that they feel loved and cared for and continue to do the ultimate what, we, what matters to us, which is that they pursue God in a healthy manner. Yeah. And I think there's enough different about the way we express these ideas and the things that matter to us that would engage those disenfranchised folks who would say, you know what, I've not, I've not been at a church, I've not been to a place that believed this, lived this, acted this way, treated kind of the community of believers in this way. Yeah, and this, this is super important to us. And so first off, thank you, Keith Go, for endorsing this. <laughs> um, we, uh, we, we, this, is, this is very important to us. And so we want to go through these. And as we mentioned, the original plan was we were going to have a stage full of our pastoral staff. And each of us was going to talk about one of these because this isn't just a bunch of one-offs. This isn't just a bunch of stuff that one person sat down and wrote. This is drawn from what we genuinely believe, what we talk about all week, what we think about all week, what we engage with people all week. Um, these come from that. So the ideas behind these words probably don't feel new. Uh, you may have experienced them, but, this is, but some of these things we haven't formally put into writing before. And so we believe that this is a, a nice refresh to where we have been. So this very first one we're going to talk about is what we think about God 
matters. This is our first of our, uh, of our new what matters to us statements. And uh, I'm going to let Keith take this one. Okay. And actually, we just made these up on the way here. <laughs> we just... No, just kidding. We did. Um, Don't what, let them peek behind the curtain. <laughs> that's right. What what we think about God matters, and that that doesn't mean what we think, like just Brian and I, or you know, just you guys, or it means what any of us, what all of us think of, about God matters. So, uh, a pastor in the 1950s named A. W. Tozer wrote a book called uh, the um, What is it called? The Nature of the Holy, Knowledge of the Holy. Thank you. <laughs> The Knowledge of the Holy is the book. It's a great book. I love that book. Um, in that book, first chapter, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And it is, it is true. We used to have it painted in the lobby. It's, it's kind of foundational for us at RCC. What we think about God matters. And the source for that is the Bible. His revelation of himself, to know him as he has revealed himself um, you can imagine um, what we think about God, what anyone thinks about God, whether, let's say they, they've removed God totally from the equation. That's going to shape how they see the world. It's going to shape how they think about the future, how they think about the past, how they treat people. It's going to shape everything about them. Well, same for us who believe in God. Uh, let me give you another example. Imagine we think of God as like a heavenly Santa Claus, right? Given the time of year, right, Santa Claus. We think of God in those terms. You know, he's got a naughty list. He's got a nice list. And, you know, what you do, you know, he's watching. And you're either going to get good stuff from him or you're going to get bad stuff depending on your behavior, right? So that view, if that's our view of God, it shapes how we view circumstances. You know, when things get difficult, we say, God, what did I do? What did I do wrong? Why are you doing this to me? Um, and it's all about us, and it's all about our behavior. So we need to go to the Bible. We, as a church, have, have decided this is what we are going to go to the Bible and get the Bible, how God has revealed himself. We're going to let that be our guide for who God is. And so every Sunday, every time we get together, every time we are a, a corporate body, we're trying to point not only ourselves, but all of us, to who God is, who he has revealed himself to be, because it is, as A.W. Tozer wrote, it is the most important thing about us. Yes, it is. Yep. And that piggybacks into our very next one, too, and I'll let you take this one as well, which is we find our greatest joy in Jesus. Right. But uh, actually, it's in my contract that I, I can't talk about joy before like 10.30, 11 in the morning. <laughs> oh, what do you know? It's 10.30 there's, or 11. There's no, there's no joy. I'm not a morning person. There's no joy before, you know. It, when, <laughs> so Psalm 30 says, you know, God's, God's uh, anger is but for a moment. His favor lasts forever. Though there's tears through the night, there will be joy in the morning. If you go back to the Hebrew, it actually says in the early afternoon. <laughs> That's not true. Totally kidding. So, sorry, that has nothing to do with anything. We find that we do find our greatest joy in Jesus. And um, this idea has kind of, in my head, two pieces. First is the design, right? We were designed by God to pursue joy, to pursue happiness. And, and in the garden, as he created us, man, it was, it was perfect, um, we, we found that joy and that meaning and that significance in connection with, our, with God, with, with our creator, and it was, it was perfect. Then Genesis 3, it all gets 
it all gets broken, right? But that hard wiring in us to pursue joy didn't go away. We just found, you know, we decided, you know, God, we're not going to listen to you anymore. We're going to do our own thing and be our own masters. And so now we're, we're confronted with, you know, millions of, of different outlets for joy, different things that are saying, I'll make you happy, I'll give you fulfillment, I'll make you, you know, feel significant. And so the design piece is the first piece, that we were designed to pursue that joy. I'll get to the second piece, which is kind of how we live that out and sorting through all those outlets for joy. But the design piece, I didn't really hear growing up that we were supposed to pursue happiness and that we would find it in God. Uh, happiness was mostly uh, associated with the things we weren't supposed to do. You know, I know these things make you happy. I know these things are fun. Don't do those things. Come to church instead. And uh, so all of the... And church was not <laughs> no, fun either. No. And so it was... It, it just wasn't how... Christianity was presented to me. And so I think of those disenfranchised believers again, I don't think it's how it was presented to a lot of people. You know, it was, you know, don't do those things you want to do. Do these other things you don't want to do instead because they make God happy and they put those bad things or those things you don't want to do, they put you on the nice list and then God will give you good stuff, right? So all this kind of bad teaching about God, I hope, you know, we can start to maybe unravel, but we find our greatest joy in connection to God. So we were wired, hardwired to pursue this joy. It only comes, it only truly, lastingly comes in connection with God. And so in the everyday, we're confronted with all these different pursuits, all these different options for pursuing joy. Um, but Jesus says, as you preached last week, I've come to give them joy and that their joy may be complete, that our joy might be complete. So God wants us to be happy. First, we need to hear that. And then we need to hear, but it only comes truly and lastingly in him, connected to him. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And we need to kind of see those outlets of joy in their proper perspective. First, being gifts from the giver and never superseding the giver. You know, it's like Christmas. You know, we get all, we give our kids all these gifts, you know, we want them to know, you know, that they're loved and that they uh, are part of this family that cares for them, that knows what they like, that knows what they want, that wants to nurture them and love them. Um, but sometimes those gifts become more important than the giver. And we don't ever want to be in a place to, where we're doing that to God. So we want to, the God... To, for God to be the center and that, that really joy-producing, joy-infusing God as he desires to be as he was in the garden and then enjoy those other subordinate things appropriately kind of in the right perspective as coming from him. So the most important follow-up question is, so then it's okay for pastors to like golf? <laughs> Only in, in proper perspective. And when all of your illustrations come from golf, I think there might be an improper perspective. This is where we both look at the camera shamingly. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Hi, Todd. The other thing, the other thing I, I should clarify is it doesn't mean the absence of grief or the absence of hurt or the absence of pain. Um, because I think when, 
you might see this and think, oh, if I'm not finding this like ecstatic first day of summer kind of happiness every day in my Christian life, that somehow I'm, I'm doing it wrong. And, and that I, you know, when a loved one dies, that I, I shouldn't feel sadness or I shouldn't feel grief. Um, that's not the case at all. Like, we have this joy in connection with Jesus now. So we have this joy that will be full in heaven. We have it now alongside grief and alongside hurt that comes from just the world that we live in. And so we experience both of them. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no joy and I th or as those who have no hope. But I think it would be also fair to say, you know, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no joy or to grieve as those who have no confidence, you know, that God has your back, that God is working out all things for your good. So we, we experience that joy, but sometimes it's, it's mixed all the time. It's, it's mixed with other things. Um, can I tell one more quick little story? I know I'm over my time on this I was going to shame you on it anyway, but go ahead. <laughs> Just yesterday, this is dumb, dumb illustration, okay, ready? Just a warning right now, dumb illustration. But yesterday, watching football, right? I was watching Baylor and Ole Miss. We have lots of families uh, with Baylor connections. Um, my own family included. Um, my brother-in-law's Brother-in-law, sister-in-law's son, Tyler, is one of the one of the cheerleader people at Baylor. So I'm, I'm cheering for Baylor, and it was if you watch the game, it was kind of a it was like a no no offense actually came to the game for the game. Um, but then, like the Ole Miss, like their star quarterback who led them all this way gets injured in the first quarter and goes down, and a true freshman comes in to take his place. I mean, I can't help I can't help rooting for the underdog. So the whole time I'm conflicted. I've got to root for Baylor. I want to root for Baylor. But there's this guy who's just coming out of nowhere who's, you know, 19, 20 years old who's going to lead the team in this big stage. So simultaneously, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, you know, uh, about how Baylor's doing and, and I'm sad for this other guy and this other team. Life is more complex. The whole point of the illustration, life is more complex than I'm only happy or I'm only sad. At all times, we're a, we're a mixed ball of emotions, and, uh, but our greatest joy, most lasting, most pure, most trustworthy joy is always and ever in Jesus. Thank you. And while he may have taken way longer than he was supposed to, to talk through that, it's, it's because those first two ideas are, everything else falls into line off those first two ideas. They are the most theologically complex and uh, demand the most of our time understanding who God is and how we think about God matters, and then realizing that our greatest joy can be found in Jesus, and then appropriately unpacking that with the rest of our experience in life. Yeah. So, it's, so we'll talk about it on Tuesday when we get back together. Good, good. Offices close on Monday. <laughs> yes. The little, appropriate little too verbose, you know, disciplinary procedures. But wait, here I go. Now it's my turn. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to stop just Start short of totally marrying you before I have to go. <laughs> So this next one is we help people help people. Now, I have an affinity for this one. Uh, the idea of this comes from the model of discipleship. And guess where we get that model from? Jesus himself. He found people. He surrounded them with everything they need to know about the kingdom, about himself, about who he was, about what he was here to fulfill. And then he helped them understand that and encouraged them to go help other people get that. Huh, this is biblically rooted. Fantastic. 
So what I love, what I love, and I have the affinity for this is I, I am this. So I got here. I had never opened a Bible ever. At the age of 30, I had never opened a Bible ever to read it and to work through what the ideas were. You opened it for another reason? I, I am. <laughs> I heard there were crosswords. Yeah. Um, and so I get encouraged by somebody here to start reading the Bible for myself. And I end up in a life group. And they're encouraging, uh, the, they're encouraging me to ask questions. And we're all working through this together. And then I do this for several years. And I get more proficient at it. And I learn how to read the Bible better. And I start to see these things. And, and I learn two things. I learn these, these made-up ideas of God that I have created don't actually exist in the Bible. I've made them. And if I'm making God, he's a l- tiny, little, small, weak God. I'm actually starting to understand who he is. And I'm getting so good at this and understanding it, and I'm actually like letting go of these things in my life. I'm wrestling with them, and then I'm letting go of the appropriate fake God ideas that I've had. And I'm getting good enough at this, at reading the Bible and everything, that I actually get encouraged by the same life group leaders who helped me get to here to go help other people. I got encouraged to lead a life group and to help other people see this and, and lead this. And I'll tell you, I'm on five years of, of leading life groups in some form or another, whether it's co-leading or, or, or leading along with my wife and, and, and leading the group as, as a couple. And it is incredibly fulfilling to sit with folks and do this, to read through the text, to understand it better, to wrestle with things maybe on the surface we, we struggle to understand, and to work those out together and then equip ourselves to process that and then give it away to other people. Everything in life, everything about our faith, we are always stuck somewhere in the middle based on life experience. We have people ahead of us who know more, and we want to attach ourselves to them and hope that that relationship pulls us along further and further in our pursuit of more God. But we also, at the same time, it's not always about us in every moment. We have to look back and see those who need us, and we're that person for them that's a couple steps ahead and pulling them together. And so whether it's life groups, whether it's a different Bible study, whether it's helping to greet people so they feel loved on Sunday morning. Everything that we do around here is built on this model of helping people help other people. And I absolutely love this one because it sets up the activeness. It means it's a community. All of RCC is involved in this process. It's just not transactional. It's not people coming to church just to hear us talk and then walking off. This is, this is new language for us, but this is new language that, that we believe is going to help to rally us even more to be genuinely Richfield Community Church. But in order to help people, I need to have like a master's degree and have gone to seminary and, you know, I, I, I need to have all the credentials just like the disciples, right? Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, the disciples are idiots. Uh, I, I got this. I, I like to joke with people that I went to Chapman University. Uh, I, got, I got a ton of this before I ever set foot in a master's program for theology. Uh. I actually was able to learn this because people had a heart and a joy for pursuing God, and that pulled me along to at the level that I could understand the Bible, to at the level that I was at, and that level has continued to grow be able to express and, and experience what that looked like in my life, and then, again, attach myself to people a little ahead or a little bit behind where I happen to be. Yeah, and that is kind of the old Reformation idea of the priesthood of all believers. We are all involved in this. Like you said, no, no bystanders, no audience. Everybody is here as a part of the church with a function, with a purpose. That we are. Very cool. And so the next one that we have, this is also new language for us. We celebrate questions. Now, none of this could have happened in my life. None of this help people help people could happen if we don't celebrate questions. Why? Just kidding. (laughs) 
<laughs> Not that question. Thanks for derailing me. I appreciate that. <laughs> Sorry. So there's, so there's two pieces to this. Uh, it's not just breaking the model of just do it because I said so. That leads to this miserable experience of church. We all have different questions. We all bring different things because of our backgrounds. Keith and I had totally different backgrounds growing up. My wife and I had totally different backgrounds growing up. And so how we actually come to our experience of faith and relationship with each other, which, with each other changes. How our kids are in that. My wife and I have different biases of how our kids are going to ask questions and how we're going to handle them or experience or express what we believe when they ask questions about God. But here's the most important word in that, and that's celebrate. We don't just want to be okay with questions. We don't just want to be like, questions are fine. Guys, we want to celebrate questions on our campus. We want our children, we want our students, as they, as they especially develop the ability to think abstractly about God, and even we want the adults, the parents of these kids, we want everybody asking questions, and we want to let them know this is a wonderful thing. God gave us these amazing brains. And they're full of curiosity. They're full of trying to figure out how the world works. They're full of trying to figure out who God is. And when we stifle that, when we don't celebrate the pursuit and the wrestling of understanding who God is, we come up short in being able to get to him. We want questions to be an amazing thing. Even when we're sitting on our own reading the Bible and we get stuck and we have a question, we don't want to just bypass it or let it go or drop it because it's complex or it's difficult. We want to love the fact that we personally are in that moment of asking questions. We want to savor that experience and realize this is a gift from God and then take that experience and celebrate it too when other people are asking. Even if you're busy, even if it's a moment of maybe not right now, celebrate that question. We want to be known as the church that celebrates people asking questions about God no matter what they are because the question is the beginning of learning more, getting more, loving more, knowing more. Yeah, is the first thing I think in kind of growing and helping people help people is learning to ask questions about the text. You know, being in a life group where it's okay to say, hey, I, I, I know I heard someone up, up front talking about this passage, but it made no sense to me. I don't know, like, I don't know what those terms were. I don't know what, you know, the context was. It just didn't, I don't, I don't get it. Can somebody please help me? Like, that is the, the first step in learning how to, how to read the Bible for ourselves is asking questions. Exactly. And you'll especially see this impacted in our, in our Kids Connect ministry and our students' ministry too. Letting these kids know we are a safe place to wrestle yeah. because this is such a key experience for them that if they are turned away when they ask questions or if they are, are uh, just given short, just do it because I said so kind of answers, right. That's the same experience of God that they're going to have. We want them to wrestle with and talk about and celebrate God. Even if we, the recipient of the question, may not have the exact answer, pursuing the exact answer with them, pursuing the, the best we can get to answer with them, and even starting with the process of, you know what, I don't know either. Let's go do this together. We want this experience to be a wonderful, wonderful moment in our growth in our Christianity. Yeah. So we have uh, one other one that Keith is going to talk about right here. Uh, we mentioned six. The sixth one, Heather Brown, uh, we have a video of her because she was planned to be out. Uh, she's on vacation. We hope she's enjoying her vacation. Um, so we're going to have a video of Heather doing that one. But the last one that Keith and I are going to talk about this morning, uh, it might be familiar to uh, you if you've been around here for a little bit. Right. And I think it flows out of the last one, asking questions. Um, we embrace inevitable tensions. And I think this one is, is a maybe a more challenging one to get our arms around. See what I did? Um, 
I, either he didn't have caffeine this morning or he had too much. I haven't decided. It's a delicate balance. Um, but we embrace inevitable tensions because there are, uh, there are just things in the Bible where uh, the truth is both and, you know, and it's, it's not so clear cut. This one is harder, I think, for us to get our arms around because it's not typical in my experience. It's not typical church language. Um, I think what would be more typical of a church would, would be to say, you know, we're about, you know, precision of understanding of who God is and, and filtering out all the ambiguities. And we're going we're gonna to give you rock solid A to Z, everything about God, everything about who he is flawlessly. So you get, you get people on one side giving adamant, precise answers for things that even the Bible isn't super clear on. Right. Or you get people on the other side who go, literally, recordings from the pulpit of churches going, and that's too complicated, so we're just not even going to Just skip that. over that part. Yeah, that's, you don't need to know that part. Right. And so here, what we hope to be, to be about and what matters to us um, is, is embracing those things where the Bible teaches both and. You know, that God is three. He's three persons and he's one. What? Yeah. Three equals one. Like, what? That doesn't make sense in, in, in any world. Even the newest math, that doesn't work. Um, so how, how can that be? How is that? Or that, you know, Jesus we know is fully man, fully experienced. The book of Hebrews tells us he is made just like us and, and was experienced temptation, just tempted, just like us. Um, and yet, we also know he's fully God. And those 100% man and 100% God and how, how do those things go together? So we have the Bible teaching us both things, both and, and you know, some, some traditions will, will lean more toward one way or more toward another. Oh, you know, let's, you know, downplay, you know, this part because it, it doesn't fit over here or let's downplay this part. We want to embrace what the Bible teaches, even when it teaches things that are really difficult for us to wrap our heads around. And, and say, well, I don't, I don't know how that works. I don't know how he could be three persons and one God all at the same time. Um, and, and be okay being finite creatures with finite brains and understanding trying to understand this infinite God. And uh, I liked the way uh, Luther, um, when he was writing about some of these tensions, he says, the Bible explains that they are. But it doesn't always tell us how they are, um, how they, how it works. But it, but it does say this is how it is. This is the truth. And so just being able to rest in that. And so some people say, oh, why even wrestle? Why even wrestle with the Bible? If, if I can't get a clear answer on how three and one work together or how. Just tell me how many sit-ups I need to get amazing abs. Yes. That's all I want. Just the yes. number and we'll move on. I have six-minute abs at home. I want five-minute abs. I want to shave one minute off of my perfect abs. I think you do have six-minute abs, yes. by the way. The stool is helping. We derailed a very important topic. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. So, um, the embracing the tension is is not is not giving up. It's not saying, "Oh, that that's hard. I don't want to think about that anymore. I'll just kind of believe all of it's true, both of it's true, you know, and just kind of leave it at that." When we get to that place where we see God beyond our understanding and we say, wait, God is 
this infinite creator who doesn't, doesn't have to and, and probably shouldn't fit in my brain. He shouldn't be completely understandable to me in, in a way that I, I can say, oh, I've got them all wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, God, oh, yeah, I figured that out a long time ago. You know, I got that all, that's, you know, I'm moving on to other things now. I'm on to, you know, gemstones or whatever. You know, <laughs> I don't know what it would be. But um, when we recognize God is bigger than we can conceive him or we can kind of craft him to be, then we really are getting closer to who God is and we really begin to worship. We really begin to say, oh, my word, Lord, <laughs> you are bigger than any eye has seen, bigger than any human could have imagined. And that's when we really begin to celebrate who God is in his reality. And I love that I can genuinely say Keith truly believes in this one too because he's been reading a book about, I can't even stretch my fingers big enough, about that thick on who God is for two years. And he's, I'm he's, a slow reader. he's reading it just to get the idea, just to find if he can get a nugget of an idea out of this about some way to think about God that he hasn't yet, that unlocks that much more of God, his pursuit uh, of trying to find that needle in a haystack just to, just to get that little better glimpse of God in this giant book is simultaneously, talk about attention, simultaneously encouraging and also want to wonder if this is the best use of his time. <laughs> simultaneously encouraging, simultaneously discouraging. Why is Keith doing this? <laughs> Maybe it's time to move on to the next one. I just realized I buried you. Sorry about that. No. We'll talk about that on Tuesday. Yes. Uh, so our last one of our six, this is a new statement for us just formally, and it's this idea of this is for life. What matters to us, this is for life. And we've asked Heather Brown uh, to talk about this one for us. So here we go with a video for you guys.
we kept that in because we just loved it so much. <laughs> she doesn't know. Uh, she does know. <laughs> so here's the important part for This Is For Life, and Heather, Heather said it. Whether you're a kid, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a parent, whether you are 75, all of our life experience impacts our experience with Jesus and vice versa. Our experience with Jesus impacts our life experience. And so everybody who sets foot in this place is going to be coming from a different place. And we want to make it our goal as a congregation to actually meet them where they are, find out where they stand and embrace where they're currently standing. Some folks need to grow and we're going to politely and lovingly help them get there because we believe that there will be more joy in that growth and more joy in that pursuit. But understanding that no matter what, everything, life throws a lot of stuff at us like today. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, helping everybody to realize that God is still in control in all of this and to find the patience and the love to help meet everybody where they are and bring them along. It's so key to this. So here's, here's our six ideas, again, recapped uh, for the morning. What we think about God matters. We find our greatest joy in Jesus. We help people help people. We celebrate questions. We embrace inevitable tensions, and this, this pursuit of God, this is for life. And we believe that if these things matter to us, our most important piece, our mission statement, will come to life, which is that we get to enjoy God together. And that fulfillment of seeing what a life in God is like now, as well as what we'll get to enjoy later, and having that as part of our draw, that it will change us it will change our community and it will change the people beyond our walls and make the gospel impact in this community that we so desire. So Keith, uh, would you possibly pray us out? Yes, I would love to. Um, and we're going to pray together. I think uh, the words are, are on the screen or no? Yeah, they'll come up on your screen. Okay, for you. awesome. We a... So we're going we're gonna to pray this together. And uh, I will kind of read it and you can read it along on your screen and we're going to pray together and just thank God for, for what he has done, what he continues to do, and for the future of what we know is in store. So, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for being the beginning and the end. You know the plans you have for us, plans to prosper us and to give us a hope and a future. You see all things, and only you truly know how all things work together. Thank you for your rich word and for your peace that passes all understanding. Thanks, Lord, for showing us how to celebrate questions and to draw near to you. Thank you for always watching over and guiding our RCC family yesterday, today, and forever. And thank you for always being the rock upon which we stand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.